speaking today to uh, Kevin Greeson, the author of a book called The Camel. It's a book that describes uh, a simple way of connecting uh, with people with a Muslim background and helping them discover Isa or Jesus for themselves. Uh, Kevin, um, ha- how did you come to write the book? Yeah, I I was there in the country of Bangladesh and I'd been working with Hindus for four years and then the uh, entire mission that I worked with decided to go with a people group emphasis and so that shifted me to working with Muslims. I, I had no training, no background uh, in working with Muslims. And so there was a frustrating two years of self-discovery, trying everything that I knew, uh, then reading. Uh, I, I could not find anywhere, uh, first of all, about a church planting movement among Muslims, but I couldn't find anywhere that would give me what I needed as far as on the street, face-to-face, mouth-to-ear, sharing with a Muslim. And so, um, again, it was all out of frustration, just tired of being rejected. Everything I was throwing out there uh, was being thrown back at me. Just nothing seemed to connect with Muslims. So, I uh, heard about, from one of our other missionaries in country, about a movement uh, among Muslims. And at that, num- at that time, they were saying there were 20,000 of these Muslims had come to faith in Christ, and it was in a rural setting. And so I got my research hat on and paper and pen and went down there and just said, I need to know what you guys are doing. So the leader of that movement spent time with me, taking me from village to village, letting me talk to these Muslim background believers. And, uh, of course, the most important question I was asking them was, uh, when you go talk to Uncle Abdullah, you know, just say any name there, just when you go talk to your uncle, what do you say? And what I mean by that is how do you open up and share the gospel? And every one of them was tell, told me that uh, if we go to Uncle Abdullah and we begin talking about Isa, talking about Jesus, that is not well received. We usually walk away the black eye. Uh, this just doesn't work. They said, but if we start talking to Uncle Abdullah about Isa from the Quran, just open it up in that manner, it doesn't matter how long you stay in the Quran. It could be just a brief jog through the Quran. All of a sudden, the whole demeanor of Uncle Abdullah changes, and he is... Okay, all of a sudden, it's it's not Christian. It's it's they lay claim this is our prophet, and it opens the door, and you can begin a journey of seeing just how open is Uncle Abdullah. You know, you got past the black eye, you know, situation. Now you're in a situation of uh, it's okay to talk about East. It's okay to talk about the Bible uh, as long as the Quran has has the conversation covered at that moment. But then you can begin to see just how open he is to uh, new ideas that he's never heard about from the Bible. Uh, from the Bible so in terms of like the, the New and Old Testaments? 
That, that's right. Of course, the Muslim sees uh, four holy books, the Torah, the Zubor, which is the Torah is the first five books. They see the Zubor is the Psalms, and of course the Injil is the New T or just the Gospels, and then they would add the Quran there. So that's what they, in that context, they're okay with the Bible. So it's it's a strategy that builds a bridge by starting with what the Quran says about Isa or Jesus. Yeah, and I do want to paint a picture here. I know that many of the people that listen to your podcast will be familiar with the C scale, the contextualization scale there. So I want to be uh, up front here and let you know that uh, what I was seeing in that village or villages was a C3, a C4 level of, of sharing. And what I'm, in my estimation or my definition of what that looks like, um, you may start off in a conversation with Uncle Abdullah at a one block of time, just in an open conversation. It may be highly contextualized going through the Quran at the beginning of that, but by the time you part ways with Uncle Abdullah, he knows what you're doing, what you're, how you're sharing. It's not a over months you're trying to convince him that you are something that you, know, you are really not. It's not uh, uh, years of working, trying to earn trust, which is not a bad model. I, I like that, but this is a much faster. Uh, and so when you hear talk about the camel method or the camel bridge, it's a little slice of time. Just it's a meeting a Muslim on the street and engaging him on a very contextualized level, which would be going through his Quran. But by the time you part ways in that one conversation, and I, I think this is the biblical model that I see in Acts as well. Paul may have started with, in, like in Acts 17, uh, with a you know, I know who the name of the unknown God is, but by the it seems like all in the same breath before he moves on to another place or at the end of that encounter right there, they know what he's talking about. But he used the bridge because they needed that at the beginning. Okay, so it's more of a model that, or an approach that, helps you discover is somebody responsive, does somebody want to know more, um, and it identifies them early on, uh, and then moves from the Quran into what the New Testament, or as a Muslim would say, the Injil says about Jesus. I'd like to give you an example mm -hmm. of what the, this is a very short um, expose here on how, it, how the camel method is verbalized. But uh, in Surah Al-Imran, and of course anytime me, a Westerner, tells a Muslim, hey, I've been reading your book, uh, that force field, if you mind, uh, it, that force field just immediately comes down and I am engaging this guy. He's, he's really listening. He's very interested. Of course, he's probably wondering at this time that am I going to be converted to Islam or not. That may be what's running through his mind at that moment, but it won't last very long. 
And so uh, I'll say, hey, I've been reading your book, and I'm very interested in Surah Al-Imran, the third chapter of uh, the Quran, particularly in verses 54 and 55, which state, uh, 54 says that uh, basically there were two plans. One was that uh, the Jews uh, had a plan to kill Jesus, and then God, he had a plan too, and his plan is the best of both of these plans. And then I asked my Muslim friend, I said, that is very interesting to me. I really need to know what is God's plan. Hmm. Well, the very next verse uh, says what God's plan is. And he says it to Jesus. He says, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing hmm. it. He says, uh, Jesus, uh, God says to Jesus, I will cause you to die, and I will raise you up. Anyone who believes that, believes what? Believes that saying right there, that God will cause Jesus to die and will raise him up. Anyone who believes that will be lifted above those who do not believe that from today until the day of resurrection or the day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, then God will separate meaning those who believe that statement and those who do not believe that. That uh, one, those two verses right there have, uh, I am not trying to dive into so many other verses in the Quran. I have been very pointed about which ones I want to talk about. Well, obviously you just heard a gospel bridge right there in those two verses. Uh, God's plan, what it was, and then I it's as if I, I just wave the Quran to the side mm -hmm. and I say to the Muslim, I know that story. And it comes from the, the Bible. And I want to tell that. Uh, and so that, that presents itself to go right into, and I have a, a section in the Camel book that leads a person, we call it the Korbani plan of salvation. So you just talk about, Korbani means sacrifice, and you just follow the bloodline through the scriptures of the sacrifice system that was set up by God. Uh, we talk about a few of the sacrifices, like the one that God did at the very beginning uh, in the Garden of Eden when he handed the two mm -hmm. skins to cover the shame and sin of Adam and Eve. That would be the first sacrifice, first time something innocent had died. And then all of the relatives of Adam and Eve are practicing this. And, of course, they know Abraham and the sacrifice of his son. And then we bring it all the way forward and say, we God did the last and final sacrifice that covered all of us, and that was his son, uh, Jesus. Actually, I just said something to you. I said his son. Uh, we don't cover that until later. I just God used... Jesus as the sacrifice. Because uh, initially a, a Muslim will have a, a reaction to that term son of God as though uh, Jesus was the physical son of God um, or is that is that right? There's, there's a, there's a yeah. barrier there with that term. You yeah, still get to it but first of all you prepare the way and start with a bridge. It's going at their pace and uh, even the story of Abraham taking his son you notice I didn't say which son well I will get to that later yeah. but right now 
I want the gospel, just the pure mm. gospel presentation, to not be derailed on one of these uh, hot buttons that uh, we tend to push whenever we are talking to Muslims. Uh, so I'm just thinking, Karen, in, in other sense, you mentioned Paul in Acts 17 where he bridges from uh, pagan poets into yeah. um, the gospel. I'm even thinking how, how often in our own culture we might start with a you know, something from literature or even a movie plot line. Um, we're not endorsing everything in that movie or in that novel, uh, but you're seeing this, not so much that the Quran um, is sufficient to explain the gospel, but it is. it can be a stepping stone that, that uh, removes unnecessary barriers for a Muslim. Yeah, what, what a surprise. Uh, who would have thought that their own book would be one of our chief tools for engaging Muslims with the, the Bible. I, I would have never dreamed of, as I was going into all this working with Muslims, that that would be a, a number one tool. I, I do want to uh, say that that movement in Bangladesh, uh, among these Bengali Muslims, the ones that had about 20,000 is the number that they were telling me at that time, uh, it's interesting to note that that bridge, using the, the Quran as a bridge, isn't a permanent bridge. Uh, we went back, that would be 1998 that I went into those villages and began asking these uh, MBBs, Muslim background believers, what do you say to Uncle Abdullah? Mm -hmm. uh, 2005, we did another assessment and uh, inside that assessment, we were asking them, what's the number one tool, uh, the evangelistic tool, or the bridge, what, what's the number one way of sharing the gospel? And of course, we're expecting to hear, oh, we use the Quran as a bridge. But no, they had reached a critical mass, is the only way I can describe this, where there's enough people in, in that one village where uh, now they just say, this is what how God has answered my prayer. I'll, let me pray for you. That, that was the way of sharing but you will still find where uh, these uh, Muslim background believers, where they're going off into a, a distant place where there's no other believers, mm -hmm. uh, they're, go they're going into hostile territory, those guys are still using the Quran as a bridge. Okay. I, I also want to let you know about the just the name camel you had asked. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, why the camel? <laughs> well, for two reasons. Uh, you see... If you go to Bangladesh where I served uh, and you ask them about the camel method, uh, nobody's going to know what you're talking about. I had moved across the border into India in 2002, and there, uh, there's plenty of uh, Christian organizations and some movements are taking place there. And so uh, now I need to offer them training. They want to know, okay, so you're, uh, we hear that there's a lot of Muslims come to faith in Christ in Bangladesh, but how is that happening? So we had to sit down and I had to create a, a training package. And so it, uh, every training has to have a name, so I'm dreaming about, you know, what am I going to call this thing? So 
that passage in the Quran, which is Surah Al-Imran 42 through 55, earlier I just gave you two verses out of that passage there, but we actually, the Camel Bridge is from the third chapter, 42 through 55 verses. And uh, you can use the acronym uh, C-A-M-E-L uh, to help you remember what that, that is. Um, and then the other reason uh, we kept hearing Muslims who come to faith in Christ talk about, uh, well, actually all Muslims will tell you that there are 99 names for Allah and only a camel knows the 100th name. And so we kind of picked up on that and said, you know what, we know that 100th name. The camel has whispered that in our ear. And we Now, what I'm telling you, I don't say this to Muslims. Yes. This is just the name of the training that we run mm -hmm. around and train Christian uh, on how to engage Muslims. So th those, that's how that developed. Maybe it wasn't the wisest name, but that's what it uh, started with, and that's what it stuck with. All right. Well, I like that saying, the 100 names for God, and we know 99, and the camel knows the 100th. So, yeah, there's something memorable about it. Yeah. So, uh, now, you've, your experience in, in the subcontinent, Bangladesh, India, uh, is, is this uh, approach, in fact, I know it is, is being picked up by others in different places around the world, uh, what what are you seeing in terms of other contexts with uh, people with a Muslim background? Yeah. Uh, using the Quran as a bridge is not anything new. There's people been using that for hundreds of years. Missionaries been using that. Uh, maybe the camel method uh, has some attachments to it. For example, you know, it's it's put into a CPM context, you know, we're going to engage Muslims with the gospel so that we can find the person of peace, not just any person of peace, we're looking for the one who's going to start a movement. And so it's all couched inside this one training there. Okay, just um, to stop, so this yeah. isn't just an evangelistic tool, it is that, you're saying it, it, it also connects with a strategy for church planting movements or CPMs. Yes. Uh, when you read through the book, you'll see I spend a lot of time with uh, you know, motivating people, trying to help them believe that, yes, God is at work among Muslims today. This is the best time to be engaged in uh, uh, Muslim work. Um, and then I use Matt, uh, Luke chapter 10, the person of peace passage that is very, you know, uh, most every mission organization spends time going through the Luke 10 model with, uh, with their missionaries. And so I dive right in there and show uh, how, uh, and I, I tell stories about how we found this one Muslim who turned around and uh, would lead hundreds. When we, we could only lead one or two Muslims to faith in Christ, this guy could lead hundreds. And so we began to do what we call precision harvesting. And again, using the Luke 10 model of looking for that person. Uh, I believe that Jesus, when he told us the parable of the four soils, he, it wasn't a seed-sowing sermon that he was laying out there for us. 
it was, guys, you're going to get four, and I guess you could even say seven kinds of responses out there. And uh, three of those are going to be, you know, negative, but then there are these, you know, uh, hundredfold guys out there. Hundredfold means this guy can win hundreds. Mm -hmm. And so we began using the camel bridge just to, uh, to do that precision harvesting because uh, we were so hungry and desperate to find the guy who's going to start the movement. I'll, I'll tell people in my trainings, uh, it's a huge letdown. I'll, I'll tell them, you know what, I don't think you are going to start a movement. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's your dream. I know that's what you want. But you are so far outside the Muslim world, you know. Um, and then I'll kind of recover from that by saying, I, I really don't, I'm not sure about this, but I think your job is really not to start a movement. Your job is just to find the person who's going to start the movement. Mm. And so that kind of thought has helped many, many people kind of relax a little bit about, oh man, I don't have to start this huge church planning movement. You know, that really is an overwhelming thought. I'm more interested in what do I say when I walk out the door and then follow that to find a person of peace, not just any person of peace, but one who is going to see uh, uh, fruit hundredfold. Okay, so the, the whole camel approach is, is a way of connecting with a, a wide range of people, finding some who are responsive, and amongst them finding uh, some people who uh, are likely or able to win uh, hundreds or even thousands of people to Christ, uh, or, or at least to put, to get a movement in, in, in motion that will do that. Every movement that I have studied, and by the way, uh, David Garrison and I are tracking with 26 uh, church planting movements or emerging church planting movements that are happening around the world right now. When I was in the 90s, I only knew of two, yeah. one in North Africa and one there in Bangladesh. But today we know of, uh, and when I say that, that would be at least a thousand Muslims are baptized inside that, that movement. Okay. So that's, that's 26, not just church planting movements, but church planting movements amongst uh, Muslims. Muslim peoples. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And every one of these, and when you get into researching these, every one of them can be traced back to one person. One person who believed and one man of peace who started that movement. So we can spend all day talking about the DNA of what it takes to start a movement and all that. The camel book, yeah. my emphasis, goes all the way back to I'm walking out the door, what am I looking for? And what tools do I have that are going to help me find that person who's going to start a movement? Okay. Well, I, that's probably come as a, a great revelation to a lot of our listeners. Um, because I would imagine if that, that, that's not just amongst Muslim peoples, but uh, typically I would imagine where you see church planning movements, you see that those key individuals that... that that God's raised up. I think you look in the Luke 10 passage, it's, it's all there. 
Jesus had this thing organized. This is the second time he's done this. In Luke chapter 9, he has sent those guys out on this, this exercise with these detailed instructions. Here he is in this second, uh, Luke 10, seven, sending out 72. And he gives them uh, exactly what to say. He says, knock on that door and you say this, peace to this house. And then he goes on in that passage and says, you know, when you heal somebody, you tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So, and, and then if they don't respond, he says, say this. So it's important that if you're going to train people, especially with Muslims, that you spend an awful lot of time on what do you say. Jesus told them, say this. Camel training, say this. Hmm. And so we still have a role to play as, in, in effect, we're outsiders. Even, I imagine, if we, uh, you know, we've got language, we've got cultural skills, all, well, let's assume that. We're still an outsider. But we still have a role to play in um, seeking out responsive people, uh, looking and praying for that person of peace, and that, I suppose what you're saying, that there may just be a Paul out there. Um, that, yeah. that that's, that's the key. So we don't sit back and say, oh, well, God will do it, it'll be a Paul. But we need to intentionally engage with the expectation that God is going to raise someone up. He, this guy who's going to start a movement is a needle in a haystack. Mm. Uh, I tell people if if I had a haystack and I shoved a needle down in there and I told you, just just you, to go find that thing, it could take uh, what depending on that, the size of the haystack, it could take quite a while to do that. We're talking about days, maybe weeks. But if I told you to go get twelve of your friends and go look for that, hmm, you know, now we're talking about days. Hmm. If I told you to go get seventy-two of your friends. Now we're talking about hours. And so this model of teaching people what to say, Jesus did it. And he gave them some tools. He gave them some hints. He inspired them. He said, guys, there's a harvest out there. You know, he, it's not a, uh, you're going out there with this mindset that you're looking for the harvest that is already there. It's, uh, I think Jesus used the uh, balls of language out of heaven where there is no time. It's that already but not yet kind of language where he says, go out and find this harvest. And you're going to find this harvest when you find this person of peace. Now, this, it doesn't say in the passage that every person of peace is going to start a movement. Mm. But, so you have to send out as many people as you can to find that one guy who's going to do it. If I could tell you real quickly, uh, uh, one district in Bangladesh uh, that we began working in had a little over a million lost Muslims inside of it. Okay, uh, I had volunteer teams. I had uh, just lots of people trained and out there looking for this person of peace who's going to start a movement. Uh, we spent two years walking down village roads, riding in cars, handing tracks out the window. Uh, we rode bicycles. Uh, we even paddled down rivers, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel as much as possible. 
within the two years, uh, we walked into one village. Uh, we had some Bibles with us. We distributed those Bibles. But we ended up sitting at this one guy's house. And uh, this guy was very interested. This guy became a believer. Uh, within two years, he had started 24 churches in that district. And then now today, that's it's a movement. He's got over 4,100 Muslims who are baptized and over 500 little house churches spread throughout these villages there. So, what we did in two years, I, I'd say we won maybe a dozen mm. Muslims to Christ in that two-year period of time. This guy starts a movement uh, within two years. So, that's what we had in our mind when we went out there uh, to begin with. Looking for that guy. But that two years with just a dozen new believers was still an important part of God's plan and purpose. Can't get around it. I mean, that, that's yeah. part of it. We, we've got to send out as many people as we can out there on the front lines. Uh, I love the radio broadcasts that are yeah. going around the world. I love television, gospels going through that, and all the different tools and all that. But uh, God's not going to rob us of the joy of going out there on the front lines and doing the mouth-to-ear evangelism thing. That, that part's never going to go away. And so it's, it's, uh, it's with determination and uh, being intense about we're going to saturate this area with the gospel. Okay, that's, that's a check-off right there that we saturated. The other check-off is we had an eye for a person who meets this um, definition of a person of peace who's going to start a movement. And uh, we've run into enough of these guys mm. who that they, they don't start movements as big as the one I just described for you, but you know they, they win their whole village and maybe two or three other villages. Um, there, there's characteristics that we've picked up from these guys. Um, now you've got me but, curious. What, what, what are the characteristics? Yeah. And this is a dangerous thing. You know, the woman at the well doesn't meet my little... Uh, you know, she's a, a prostitute, she's a female, and she goes and brings half her city out there to meet Jesus. I, that's, that's great. That's a person of peace. And, uh, but the ones that we find the most uh, who go and lead movements, some of the characteristics are... Uh, Usually, they are one to Christ at nighttime, not during the daytime. Time uh, to stay up all night, just no. talking, it, it, talking it out. Uh, also, they were uh, this person of peace who seems to lead a movement um, thinks differently. Uh, when most people who come to faith in Christ think about uh, their security and the persecution that is about to come to them, this guy is not faced. His, you just listen to him. In fact, uh, here's a little litmus test that you can use. Uh, when you pray with him, you'll, you'll hear most people who come to faith in Christ from Muslim background, they'll say, they'll pray, God help me through this time. Lord, I just want to share this good news with my mother and help me come through this time uh, alive, you know. Just this kind of, you know, internal 
focused kind of prayer. But then you'll hear this one guy, I call it a Moses syndrome uh, prayer. He says, God, my people need to be set free. My people need to hear this. My people. Yeah, that's kind of the, the tone of that prayer. He takes responsibility for a larger block of, of people than just his little family and his own little concerns. So there's some other things involved in that. Um, we, we do, when we do training, we always uh, talk a lot about what this guy looks like, but I always note, hey, uh, the woman at the well doesn't meet so this little uh, list of qualifications here, so it could be a child, it could be a woman, it could be you know anybody, uh, yes. but I just need to report to everybody what we're experiencing. Mm. Mm. Kevin, if uh, someone's listening to this, and I, I think for people working in any field, there there's just a whole heap of uh, transferable lessons. But for those that are listening and thinking, look, I, I would like to get started in, um, you know, in, in, in reaching out to people with a Muslim background, uh, how would you suggest, what advice would you give them about getting started? It seems like every Muslim has a tape deck, a tape recorder on their forehead, and whenever you say certain words, uh, you can reach over, actually, and push the play button on their forehead because there's a pre-recorded uh, uh, you know, phrase that you're going to hear. These have been... In just embedded inside Muslims, you say the word Bible, mm-hmm. reach over there, push the push the play button, and you're going to hear them say, uh, "Oh, the, you know, we don't accept the Bible; it has been changed." You say, "Son of God," reach over, push the play button. You're going to hear them say, uh, "Oh, we would never say that." You know, that's that's blasphemy when you say that. So. The best advice I can give anyone who wants to be a, a practitioner of frontline evangelism is to learn really what not to say to a Muslim. There are certain things that Muslims have grown up with that uh, you say them, it comes across, it, it makes them itch. You know, they're highly allergic to certain words and phrases that you can say. It's just in 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 uh, it's inside their lives of you, you say Bible, they immediately start on this uh, phrase that their imam has told them over and over. The Bible has been changed. You cannot trust it. You say Son of God, they chase that into meaning something that we certainly don't intend for it to mean. Um, avoid those things that push those buttons with Muslims and replace them with things that connect Follow the, the Bible's example of uh, contextualized bridges and uh, use Paul's examples of just starting a conversation with where they are and then begin to drive the conversation exactly to the, the gospel. Thanks, Kevin. That's that's very helpful. And I, uh, I know if people in different spots around the world that are... Uh, wandering into mosques and making themselves known and uh, 
striking up a conversation around the Quran that uh, that then can lead on to the gospel. And um, you know, it's it's great to hear how God is is just using this simple approach. Uh, now we'll uh, we'll post uh, links to the book and and some of the references you've mentioned about the um, the Quran, what it says about Jesus. And uh, we'll also link to some of the resources that you've provided. So really appreciate your pioneering work and the fact that it's, uh, it's, it's becoming contagious. Steve, thanks for having me today.